0: From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology and the colored shavings. Welcome to The Dairy Show. I am your host, Lisa Benke. And today we're at the end of the year 2023. So I thought it was time to maybe take a look back, not just at the year, but let's take a look back at the years where we've come from in the dairy industry. And who better to have as a guest today on the dairy show than Steve Larson, who worked for many years as the managing editor of Hordes Dairyman, And Hordes Dairyman is a marvelous resource to the dairy industry. And I think we all need to take into account too what a chronology Hordes has provided to us in the dairy industry of milestones that have taken place best practices, policies and and laws and regulations that affect us all, all of it captured in those pages, but not just in those pages. Hordes Dairyman is located in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, and also residing in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, is a true gem, and that would be the Hordes Museum and Dairy Shrine Museum. So ladies and gentlemen, today, the Dairy Show is going to be visiting with Steve Larson to learn a little bit more about this treasure that I just mentioned in Fort Atkinson, the Hordes Museum and Dairy Shrine Guest Center. So Steve, welcome to the Dairy Show.
1: Thank you, Lisa. It's nice to be with you and all of the listeners.
0: It's great to have you with us, Steve. Could we start today by learning a little bit about your history? We're going to be talking about dairy history, but let's hear about Steve Larson's history.
1: My history was fairly typical for people in the dairy industry of my generation. I was born and raised on a farm in central Kansas. Got interested in the dairy business through people like the Carlins down in central Kansas. The area where I grew up, that county was the home to several fairly prominent Holstein breeding herds back in the 50s and the 60s. So I got interested in dairy cattle and Holsteins, and went to Kansas State University, majored in dairy, we called it dairy husbandry at that time, served on the judging team and so forth, and thought that I would maybe end up as a dairy extension specialist someday, someplace. Went to University of Wisconsin in Madison for a master's degree in dairy and nutrition. And about that time, there was an opening at the Hortz Dairyman magazine for a youth editor. That was in 1969 and I joined the staff and have been involved with the company ever ever since.
0: In that amount of time, Steve, you have covered thousands of stories and you've traveled the globe to tell stories about the dairy industry. Today, we wanted to focus on your relationship with the Hordes Museum and the Dairy Shrine. So tell me about that. You have written for years for Hordes Dairymen, but you also became very involved with Dairy Shrine. So if you could tell us how the Dairy Shrine Museum and the Hordes Museum came to be in Fort Atkinson and how that is managed to this day. Dairy Shrine
1: was started in 1949 by a group of people attending the National Dairy Cattle Congress in Waterloo, Iowa. Many of them were actually college professors, dairy scientists, and they, thought that there needed to be an organization in the dairy industry that sort of covered all aspects of the dairy industry and to recognize leadership, to encourage youth, and to record the history of the dairy industry. And so Dairy Shrine was founded with those primary goals. And they met at a house across the street from the Cattle Congress grounds. There was coffee and donuts there all the time for people to get together and visit. And, and that was the birth of Dairy Shrine. The artifacts, the portraits of award winners and so forth were housed there for many years, and when the Waterloo Dairy Kettle Congress lost its footing as a dairy show, then those materials moved around different places, including one of the libraries at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. But eventually, the organization was looking for what we called at that time a permanent home. So there were some dairy industry leaders in Fort Atkinson, Art Nesbitt, former president of of NASCO, another former president of NASCO, Al Holcomb, Gene Meyer, my predecessor at the magazine as managing editor, very strong supporters of Dairy Shrine and said, why not bring the Dairy Shrine to Fort Atkinson? So they worked out an agreement with the fort atkinson historical society and the city of fort atkinson to build onto the existing museum and they raised several hundred thousand dollars a lot of money at that time and built this museum and deeded it back to the city of Fort Atkinson. So the Dairy Shrine maintains all of the exhibits, all of the displays and everything inside the dairy portion of the museum, and the city maintains the outside of the building just like it does the rest of the sections of the Horde Historical Museum. So that is how Dairy Shrine came to Fort Atkinson.
0: There have to have been thousands at this point of 4-H members that are participants in the National 4-H Dairy Conference and all of the judges teams that come to World Dairy Expo to participate in that contest, the vast majority of them make a trip to the Dairy Shrine Museum and the Hordes Museum, one of the high points of their travels to this state. So, Steve, tell us what those people have seen when they go to the museum. What did the exhibits contain?
1: There are several aspects of the museum that are interest to people in the dairy industry, and it's also designed to have some appeal and some educational value to the general public. There is, for example, a 16-minute video show that portrays kind of a general overview of the dairy industry, some of the demographics, and broad look at the industry from the standpoint of various breeds. And there's a section in that video on nutrition. Then the, the old way of doing things So the video presentation is really a past, present, and future viewing for people. There's a number of displays in that same general area. There's displays about past dairy shows, about judging contests, and a library containing quite a number of very interesting books of the dairy industry, most of them quite historic, some of them going back into the 1800s. Then the lower level of the Dairy Shrine exhibit areas, uh, lots of memorabilia, it's where our hall of fame is where the portraits of past winners of guests of honor and pioneers are on display there's some educational displays about embryo transfer and feeding and nutrition and ai and Lots of interesting things to look at. And and of course, a lot of dairy industry collectibles, churns and separators and all kinds of early milking machines, foot pedal milking machines and so forth. So there's really a lot of things. to. I just noticed the other day that a dairy shrine has about 6,000 square feet of exhibit space in the building. So there's a lot to see.
0: There is so much to see. And you made mention of the library. So the Joe Eves Library, and this is what I really, really wanted to talk to you about today, Steve. I was at the Dairy Shrine Museum one day doing some research, and this three-ring binder was open on the table in the Joe Eves Library. And it caught my attention because it was a collection of letters. And I was, first of all, fascinated by the signatures on those letters, but second of all, fascinated by the content of the letters. This was an invitation put out by the Dairy Shrine in celebration of the Dairy Shrine's 50th anniversary, which just coincidentally happened to coincide with the turn of the century, the millennium. It was in the year 1999, and if I'm not mistaken, Bernie Heisner, who headed up the Dairy Shrine at that time, had put out this open invitation to people to opine on what they thought was maybe the invention or technology that launched the dairy industry furthest forward in the past 50 years. So, Steve, you've got that book sitting there on your lap. I really wanted to talk about that book today.
1: It's a fascinating a collection, I'll have to say. I think there were 77 letters received by Dairy Shrine from people across the industry, from breed organizations, AI, university professors, consultants, breeders, a whole variety of people. And I was amazed at the amount of time that each of them gave these were some of the busiest people in the industry at that time i know but they took the time to gather their thoughts and to submit their opinions on some of the most significant developments during the past 50 years in the dairy industry and it the response was overwhelming the content <laughs> is fascinating and it really is a kind of priceless keepsake for our dairy industry frankly that That little three ring binder contains a great deal of wisdom and foresight.
0: It really does, Steve. I can just only imagine the listeners right now are probably just thumbing through their minds right now and and trying to imagine what people cited as the most important. If you could single one thing out in the last 50 years that has moved us forward, I think you said Bernie Heisner himself had gone through those letters, those 77 letters, and summarized them. So I really want people to come and sit in that library and take it all in themselves. But let's give them a little tease today. How did Bernie summarize what's in that thread? ring binder, what rose to the top as maybe being the greatest contribution to the dairy industry that propelled us forward in the last 50 years?
1: I think that he wrote in a note to Maury Corps, who was, I assume, the executive secretary of Dairy Shrine at the time. After having spent uh, off and on, a, he said about a full month going through those letters and digesting the content, he sent a list of, I think he called up the top 20 items and developments that that he identified from those letters. So. The one that was the one factor that was mentioned the most actually was artificial insemination. And maybe that's not too surprising. That came on the scene in, well, in the 40s and 50s and really began to take off in the 50s, about the time that Dairy Shrine was formed. And so it certainly was in the great impact was in the early years among those 50 years that they focused on. So that was the biggest thing. And according to Bernie's summary, that was the item that was mentioned the most the second item in popularity or mentions was genetic evaluations i'm not much of a geneticist but we went through a lot of things we had damn daughter comparisons and we had herd mate comparisons and all of these things but these things all developed and were refined through the years and certainly our knowledge of genetics and our application of our knowledge of genetics to the industry was certainly significant and you have to agree that that deserved a pretty high ranking as well. And right up in there was frozen semen, that of being able to free semen, obviously distribute it on a widespread basis really extended the reach of the artificial insemination industry and the genetic improvement that it represented. So that was uh, significant as well. The next on the list was computers. And obviously, computers did affect us in many, many ways. We needed them for our genetic evaluations. We need them for our DHI records. We need them for ration balancing. There was just an endless application to be able to crunch these numbers. And I'm sure that back in the early days, some of these computers probably filled full rooms because of their inefficiency compared to the phones and, and laptops that we have these days. But that was a pretty high rank as well. And the next on the list was total mixed rations. And obviously, a very important development. You know, the concept of being able to, in every bite, give a cow everything she needs was very significant. And it's just basically widespread now. There's almost total use of total mixed directions or variations of it. So those were the top ones on the list.
0: And there were some little gems hidden within too, I guess. I'm 60. So I grew up with them. But one person had offered that the barn cleaner was maybe one of the most significant contributions because it freed up so much time. <laughs> These letters are just jewels. You pointed out some of these people spent three, four pages in handwritten letters explaining the virtue of that technology or, or that particular invention that propelled the industry forward. So fascinating reading. It's fascinating to see who offered those opinions. And again, it makes you think. It makes you think about all of the constant thought and and development that goes into improving how we care for and manage dairy cattle, as well as the equipment used to harvest milk. Refrigerated trucks, that was another thing somebody had brought up, saying that if refrigeration hadn't come along, it would have vastly changed the landscape. The use of
1: bulk tanks, shifting from cans to bulk tanks, and the pipeline milking technology. There were a lot of things in the improvement in milk quality because of our better equipment, and our emphasis on producing pure, healthful products was mentioned several times as well.
0: You've served on World Dairy Expo's board of directors, obviously have held leadership positions with Dairy Shrine and have been an industry leader. You were recognized in 2007 as World Dairy Expo's industry person of the year. So you're among those people that are enshrined at the Dairy Shrine Museum. But I guess as we're talking about all these milestones from your seat as someone who has been so networked and covered all aspects of production, you had a front row seat seeing how that technology was applied at the Hordes Dairy Farm, but you also wrote about it. You wrote about the people and the companies and the breeders who were moving this industry forward. From your perspective, I'd love to hear some personal insights from a former managing editor of Hordes Dairymen. If you had written one of those letters, what would you have
1: put in it? One of the significant aspects of the dairy industry from my perspective through the years that I I observed it was the improvement, the big shift in emphasis towards cow comfort and giving cows a healthful environment to produce milk. And I kind of look at it from the standpoint of when an I was new in this business some 50, some years ago. Many of the things we did were for the sake of the people taking care of the cows, ease, so to speak, and saving labor and uh, keeping our barns from being too cold, for example. And some of the examples that I would use was when we first started using free stalls on a widespread basis. We started out, we, we'd have this uh, concrete stall surface, and then we thought, well, it can, we don't want the cows lay on concrete. So they weep it down uh, indoor-outdoor carpeting, it seemed like a great thing to do. Well, it was terrible on the cows. We had a lot of hawk injuries and lameness and so forth. And so that progressed through the years. And, and now, of course, so many people use sand in their free stalls or water mattresses. So that's just an example of where we've learned to do what's best for the cow first, and then, then we as caretakers can deal with it. I remember seeing so many freestall barns in my early years of travels that were so closed up because they didn't want the manure to freeze in the barns during the wintertime. But this made very humid, poor quality air for the cattle. I can remember going to Michigan, the first ones in the country, in Michigan, where they took the sidewalls off the barns, believe it or not and put up curtains that could be raised and lowered for wonderful ventilation. And we've learned a lot about air quality. We've learned a lot about how to feed our cows. We used to chop our hay silage pretty finely so we could get more in the silo, right? And our old mechanical silo and loaders could handle it and spit it out in a reasonable period of time. Well, we found out the cows didn't like that chopped up stuff. They didn't do well on it. We had DAs, we had low-fat tests and all kinds of cow problems. And so now the length of cut of our forages is a very important thing, and it's really something we've learned to manage. And so these are just a couple of examples of things that we did for the cow. The, the benefit of the cow had to be our number one priority, her, her comfort and her well-being. And, and we've learned to to manage uh, accordingly.
0: Each year, new technologies get rolled out at World Dairy Expo, new and better ways of doing things, whether it's on the education stage or if it's in the trade show proper. It is a forum for all of the best practices and the things that we've learned collectively as an industry. I think we owe such a debt of gratitude to the Dairy Shrine for housing all of this history for us and letting us appreciate and understand where we came from but I also appreciate that Dairy Shrine is always looking at the present and the future as well. I have to make mention when you talk about that binder and in the past 50 years, one of the things that was cited as being most important was the the reproduction end of dairy herd management. We talked about AI, we talked about the genetic evaluations. And I have to say that in, in the year 2023, I had a front row seat to seeing how important that is globally. We had the Prime Minister of Agriculture who served, the president of the country of Uganda. He came to World Dairy Expo this year. He came here to the United States to World Dairy Expo to learn more about our U.S. genetics because his desire was to incorporate U.S. genetics into the Uganda dairy herd to meet that aggressive goal, to improve their production, their level of production to meet their hungry nation's needs. And so therefore, I got to say hats off to all those people that contributed to that knowledge base, to that true, you know, improvement of our genetics through the years, because it is something that elsewhere in the world is appreciated. He marveled when he traveled to farms here in the United States at how those cows filled the receiving jar while they were standing in the parlor. He's like, he would never imagine that a single cow could produce so much milk. So having seen that firsthand, he is sold and he believes that with the incorporation of U.S. genetics into their herd, that he will meet his country's goals to feed the population.
1: That's a that's heartwarming to hear things like
0: that? World Dairy Expo, what the Dairy Shrine, what all of this is, it's a meeting of the minds, isn't it? It's bringing the best of the best together, celebrating the successes of the past and pushing forward. And I guess what I'd like to talk about too, Steve, is the Dairy Shrine does more than just preserve history. The Dairy Shrine celebrates the successes of individuals whose contributions to the industry should be celebrated. But the Dairy Shrine Museum and all else that the Dairy Shrine is and does is supported by membership dues and I thought we should talk about that for a moment too. Currently, the Dairy Shrine is collecting items for the museum and they're certainly welcoming new members all the time. Can we take a moment, Steve, to talk about that? If anyone listening is not currently a member of Dairy Shrine or would like to make a contribution, how could they do so?
1: Well, Lisa, the executive director of Dairy Shrine now is Mike Opperman, and he's located here in Fort Atkinson. And the website for those that have access to computers is dairyshrine.org, and that would get them to him. They could email him or find a phone number at that website and get information about membership or maybe submitting some collectibles or artifacts that the organization might be interested in. or volunteering in the organization in some way. There are a number of committees and we're always looking for members. That would be the contact information, Lisa.
0: In closing, if you could predict what future exhibits might include at the Hordes and Dairy Shrine museums, what do you anticipate the industry's next milestones might be? Going through
1: these letters that dealt with the last 50 years, in other words, from 1949, when Dairy Shrine was formed, to 1999, its 50th anniversary, Then I thought about, well, we're coming on our 75th anniversary next year. If we look back over the past 25 years, what might be some of the things that would pop up? And I just thought of a few things. One, sex semen, for example, has changed things so dramatically in our industry. Genomics, of course, staying with the breeding aspects. Robotics have become not commonplace yet, but are gaining grounds and doing a marvelous job of of, uh, milking our cows properly and giving us great quality milk. Preventive herd health, our health care of cows has changed from dealing with emergencies to preventing emergencies and giving our cows and calves and heifers the vaccinations and the the routine health care that they need to prevent problems to increase their lives and their productivity. That's been a significant thing. Digesters are one of the environmental aspects of things that are growing in popularity and actually adding sort of to the image of our industry. And from that standpoint, plant breeders have made a big change in our industry. It was so vivid this summer, we had an extreme drought in many parts of the country through most of the growing season. And lo and behold, when we came to harvest, our yields were much better than everybody expected. And we owe that to the plant breeders that have made our corn varieties especially more drought resistance has been remarkable and that really has changed things another thing would be chip technology and id uh, id of our cows we're monitoring rumen motility we're monitoring cow activity levels obviously we're identifying our cows we're using chip technology in incredible ways and the technology has become low enough in cost that it can be widely applied so Those are just a few of the things that sort of came to my mind when I thought about, well, what about the past 25 years? That might be, if I were to write a letter now, maybe those would be some of the things that I would talk about.
0: It's hard to narrow it down to just one thing. I hope that all of you listening have the opportunity at some point in the near future to visit the Hordes Museum and the Dairy Shrine Museum located in beautiful Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin adjacent to Hordes Dairyman. So much to see and do there. I guarantee you, you would be just like me. I'm sure if you sat down in the Joe Eves Library with that binder for just a moment, you would get drawn into it and could spend hours and hours reading through it as I did. And the museum exhibits, as Steve stated, are just fantastic. It's a, a marvelous collection and one that continues to grow because the dairy industry continues to grow and evolve. And when the Dairy Shrine puts out that invitation to summarize the last 25 years, Steve Steve, I hope that your letter is among those submitted for a new binder in the Joe Eves Library. Again, thank you so much for being our guest today on the Dairy Show. And we'll be sure to include the location and the website for those who wish to go and see it for themselves. But by all means, put that on your bucket list, folks, a trip to the Dairy Shrine Museum. And if you're not already a member, put that on your bucket list too. become a Dairy Shrine member today. It's a great, great organization. And again, your membership helps support the wonderful things encased and housed in this treasure of a museum in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. And- if you need just one more excuse to travel to Fort Atkinson for a visit, Steve, there's something new that's been installed in the city, hasn't there?
1: That's right. There's something we're very proud of in Fort Atkinson. The Fort Atkinson Beautification Council raised the money to put up nearly life-size statues of all of the dairy breeds. And those statues are scattered around Fort Atkinson as a recognition of the the community's great dairy history, and and they're a sight to see, and they're very well done. And I'd encourage people to, when they, they come to the museum, be sure to find out where those cows are located and take a look at them.
0: If you're planning a trip to World Dairy Expo 2024, how far of a drive is it from Madison, from the World Dairy Expo grounds to Fort Atkinson? It's
1: only about 35 miles.
0: 35 miles, 40 minutes to get there. So plan accordingly, folks. Plan your trip to World Dairy Expo 2024 now and be sure to schedule some time to visit the Hordes Museum and the Dairy Shrine Museum and the beautiful cows on display in Fort Atkinson. Again, Steve, thank you for joining us today for The Dairy Show. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you.